Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Psalms 130, and our New Testament reading is from 2 Corinthians 4.13 through 5.1. If you are able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we hear his word. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But when you are there, is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen's for the morning, more than watchmen's for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And now the New Testament. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentarily affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all compassion. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen or in transit, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're grateful that you hear us when we call, and we thank you that you left us your word to let us know that you hear us, and Lord, and to inform us as we pray. And so we ask, Lord, that you would bless the hearing and the preaching of your word for the glory of your name, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Good morning. It's good to see all of you. You know, these days it's popular to declare that you have given up your faith. A number of people have turned away from faith, announcing on social media their departure 
from Christ. Now, of course, this is nothing new, because it happened to the Apostle Paul when he said, Demas had forsaken me, having loved this present world. See, being a Christian has never been easy. From the beginning, Christians have been the target of governments, scorned by competing religions, derided by the general populace as narrow. G.K. Chesterton said the Christian idea has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. Giving up is easy. And to think that you've exhausted the knowledge of Christ or the glory of Christ, it's like walking, walking up to the ocean and sticking a straw in and taking a sip and you've drained it dry. You see, ultimately, this is a question of what your heart is resting upon. And in a time when so much cultural pressure is is put upon you to to find your own truth or to look within yourself for eternal bliss, your identity, how do you keep faith in Christ and not lose heart? See, to not lose heart you have to take on disciplines. You have, to take, you have to take on disciplines and appropriate Christ's grace whereby you're emboldened from the inside out. This means four things from the text. You must believe what you speak, compare present pain and eternal glory, see past the temporary to the eternal, and hope in the builder of your future home. So believe what you speak. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 13 through 15. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Now, it's hard to not believe what you speak, isn't it? It's hard not to believe what you speak. See, we know know this to be true, because as soon as you lie, well, let me speak for those who lie. As soon as you lie, you try to conform your life to the lie you just spoke. Yeah, if you were a kid, you've done that. You know that's to be true. You know that to be true. You shift the story. You try to, you start, you try to make, you try to make it, it fit what you just said. Why? Because it's hard not to believe what you speak. And Paul says, he believed, therefore he speaks. What is he believing that causes him to speak? Well, the word of God is what he tells us in the text. He says the word of God is what has been written. He's referring to Psalm 116, verse 10, and he quotes a portion of the text there in the the passage. But in in the psalm, in its context, the psalmist, he's been suffering some affliction that that brought him near death, and, and this experience pushed him to speak what he believed about the Lord. And he says this in Psalm 116, verse 7 through 9. He writes, Return, O my soul, to your rest, 
for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And then comes what Paul quotes in verse 10. Then I believed and so I spoke. And Paul takes this phrase within its context of suffering and, and deliverance from death and he applies it to his present struggles with persecution. See, he believes what he speaks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Though he believes that Jesus is raised from the dead and that God shall also raise us with Jesus and bring us into his presence. See, believe what you speak, speak what you believe. Regarding this, so as you think about this, there, there are three, at least three classifications of speech that, that people use in, in this way. They're speaking without faith, which is empty and it's vain and, and often hostile. They're speaking with wrong faith, faith that's, faith that's in wrong subjects or errors or improper, or improper faith in right subjects. That's to say that, that, that is faith that is, that is weak and wavering and double-mindedness. And then thirdly, they're speaking the truth that is in Christ. Not merely speaking doctrine or speaking right things about Christ, but in Christ, passionately, reasonably, irrepressibly. You can't not speak of Christ. So believe what you speak. And speaking true faith in Christ results in conforming your life to the truth you are learning. Like Paul, when quoting the psalm, learn the word of God, learn the word of God. Hear in the word of God the goodness of the Lord, even in its phrases, and, and let them feed your heart in those, in those times when you might lose heart, when it feels like you're losing heart, when, when, when your courage runs low. Because it will help you to compare present pain and eternal glory. Good verses 16 and 17 of, of chapter 4. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see, Paul is saying, Paul is saying the affliction is real. The suffering, the suffering is real. The pain hurts. He's saying that, he's, he's acknowledging the reality of it, but why does Paul say he doesn't lose heart? Why does he, he doesn't lose heart? Because twice in this chapter, he says it. He says it right at the very beginning in, in verse one, and he says it here again, that he do, we do not lose heart. So what is it? What is it that the apostle Paul was suffering that might have made him lose heart? Because we need to understand, we should understand why because he placed himself, he placed himself in this position to be constantly persecuted. So why would he do this? Well, earlier, he describes, he describes this, this affliction, this light momentary affliction. He describes it in verse 8 of chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, where he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. 
always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul says he is carrying in his body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus is also manifested in our flesh. What does that mean? Well, Paul, Paul, who is Jewish, he's being run down. He's being, he's being attacked uh, and, and he's run down to these Greeks, to these Corinthians by other Jews. And the body of Jesus, the body of Jesus is central to the preaching of the gospel since Paul has been teaching in every place that in Jesus' body, the two former enemies of Jew and Gentile are now made one through Jesus Christ. Gentiles are now heirs with Israel, children of Abraham, sharers in the promise of Christ, who gave up his body to reconcile both to God. Paul says this message is this message, not the resurrection. He believed the resurrection. They, they didn't have problems with the resurrection. Not justification by sin, not justification by faith, rather. Not that, they didn't have a problem with that. They had a problem with, they had a problem with Jew and Gentile equally sharing in that promise of God. That's the message, what Paul calls the mystery of the gospel, his gospel. That's what he's suffering for. And we see this in, later in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 11, where, where Paul, in verse, in verse 22, he identifies those who are, who, are, who are persecuting him and those who are running him down to, to the Corinthians. And he tells the Corinthians, he says, look, he said, you have believed another gospel. You've, you're, you've been seduced by another Jesus. You, you have been listening to another spirit. And in verse 22, he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. You see, his opponents were Jews, his own countrymen. And why? Why was this so? They were against, they were against the message of the gospel that brings reconciliation between ethnicities. And Paul says, in this, I do not lose heart. I do not lose heart. Paul knows that beyond the suffering of this pain, there is a greater glory to gain. He's willing to suffer right now in order to enjoy a greater glory to come. Is that what he said earlier in chapter four when he says that, that this grace, that grace extends to more and more people to thanks, and producing thanksgiving to the glory of God. This is paradoxical, isn't it? It's paradoxical because how does that work in real life? How does it work, you know, that, 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 that present suffering leading to greater glory? Well, so Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, he talks about the Stockdale paradox. And James Stockdale was a prisoner of war during Vietnam and he spent eight years in the infamous Hanoi, Hanoi Hilton. And Jim Collins 
while he's reading Stockdale's memoirs in, his, in, his, in the comfort of his Stanford office, he responded to Stockdale's recount, recounting of the tortures that he suffered. He's like, this is so bleak, it's so dark, and, how, and it's depressing. And he says this, he said, if, if it feels depressing to me, how on earth did he survive when he was actually there and did not know the end of the story? And Collins interviews the former POW, and when he posed that question to the admiral, Stockdale answered, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. See, that's the paradox. What, you wouldn't trade? You would, if you had to do it all over again, you would still, you would suffer the torture? Because you know, because the end of the story, he never lost faith in, the end of, faith in the end of the story. That's why, isn't that why some people lose heart? You, you lose faith in the end of the story. They lose faith in the end of the story so that the future glory isn't worth the present pain. How many have quit? How many have quit because they think that whatever the future holds, it can't be bigger than the trouble I'm suffering right now? I give up on ethnic reconciliation through the gospel because the future glory isn't worth the present suffering. I give up on my wayward child and, and compromise the true faith because the present pain seems more than the future glory. I give up on my spouse because I've lost faith in the end of the story. You see, it's hard times. It's hard times that often clouds and, and hides the brightness of the glory that is to come. And to not lose heart, you have to compare the present pain with eternal glory. And all through scripture, we see this to be true. All through scripture, we, we have these, these, these pictures given to us. It's Moses in the midst of national complaint National rebellion against him and against God. And it's Moses. Moses is there and God is about ready to take the people out. Get out the way, Moses. I'm, I'm taking them down. And what does Moses say? Lord, show me your glory. It's Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he lets Peter and James and, and John see his glory before they saw the gore of the cross. You see, to not lose heart, you need to see the glory of Christ as greater than your present pain. I wish I had time to elaborate on that. Because to do this, to do this, you have to see past the temporary to the eternal. Look at verse 18 of chapter 4. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, Scripture is teaching us that, that this world is within another world. And eternity, this time, is set within an eternity. The time, our time is set within eternity. And the two shouldn't be confused so that you don't place too much emphasis on the present world as if it's permanent. And don't take this time as if it's eternal. Pandemics don't last forever. Cancer doesn't last forever. 
the death and the, the separation that occurs between you and your loved one in Christ doesn't last forever. So don't, don't place that kind of weight on, your, on, your pre- on, the, on, on the present. You say, Pastor, you've been reading too many comic books. Are you saying there's an alternate universe? No, but scripture alerts us to the nature of reality, that it isn't merely what you see and it isn't temporal cycles. So listen to how the writer of the book of Hebrews talks about the tent of meeting that Israel built under Moses' direction in in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, where where he's been talking about Christ being being our great high priest. And he says this in verse 1, now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. The true tent, where's the true tent? Not here, it's in heaven. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. So where's the reality? It's heaven. Not here. He was, in, and for Mo, when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. You see, scripture is encouraging us to view earthly things as a shadow, a copy of the heavenly things, the reality. Real worship takes place in heaven. In the true tent. We're here, we're here, we're here right now. You say, yes, yes, we are. We are here right now. But what that tells us is that we are right now in eternity. Right now in the presence of God. Right now. This is why, this is why decisions that you make in, a moment, in the moment are important. It isn't, just, it isn't just a temporary, it doesn't have temporary consequences. They're not just temporary choices. You're making choices in eternity. And that's why scripture calls us to believe now, to embrace salvation now, because you're making decisions, you're making choices, eternal choices right now. The real worship, we are in heaven, hallelujah. So we look past the temporal to the eternal. This is past, I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it in, his, in the last battle, he calls it the shadow lands. Yeah, so we, we look past the, the temporal to the eternal. This is passing away. To not lose heart, you must see past the temporal to the eternal. So how you handle games, how you handle your identity, how you interact in relationships, how you live in the world and, and yet not be of the world is shaped by seeing past the temporal to the eternal. And there are, there are some places in the Bible where the, where the veil between the temporary and, and the eternal is taken away. You remember Elijah and Elisha when they're together and, and Elijah is being taken away. What, it ha- what happened? He's, Elisha saw the chariots of God. He saw it. 
He's, he looked, he's, you know, and there's another spot in, where Elisha is with his servant and the Syrian army is there. And, it's just, and the Syrian army, they're, they're there to try to capture Elisha. And, and the servant is like, oh, oh what are we going to do? We're outnumbered. No, oh, yeah. And Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And he's, oh, and the hillside is filled with chariots and, and angels. Oh, yeah, so there, there are these moments. It's Jesus, uh, again, on the Mount of, of Transfiguration. It's Daniel when he prays and he, he's seeking the Lord for what this vision that he had meant. And the angel, the archangel Michael appears and tells him, I would have been here sooner, but I was held up. So there's times when God pulls back and reminds us that it's not, time isn't just something that, is at the, that, 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 that eternity spins off of. No, time is set within eternity. Time, eternity is ongoing. Time will come to an end and eternity still goes, it goes on. So seeing past the temporary to see the eternal, it's something to cultivate and as you believe what you speak and you compare present pain and eternal glory, because ultimately you're placing you, you want to place your hope in the builder of your future home. Look at verse of chapter five, verse one. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. See, Paul speaks of the hope of the resurrection of Christ as reason to not lose heart. Resurrection means transformation. And this picture of our bodies as, as tents re, reminds us that, that, they're, that they are transitory. They're not made for permanent. Yeah, tents aren't made for permanent dwelling. Yeah, I know people who live in tents. Yeah, but, you know, it's misplaced. That's not, that can't be your permanent home. You know, yeah, you're placing too much weight on a tent. And unfortunately, yeah, a lot of people do that. We place too much emphasis on, on something that's not permanent. It's your tents don't hold up in the elements. I remember being on a missions trip to southern Sudan years ago, and we, had, we slept in tents. It was the first time I ever slept in a tent. You know, I was 40-some years old, and I'm sleeping in a tent in, in, in rural, rural southern Sudan. <laughs> and, and a storm comes, and, and it pours down water, and our waterproof tents weren't waterproof at all. Our equipment got wet, our clothes got wet. I was trying to do all I could to, to keep my, because see back then, you know, cameras had film in them. You know, some of you remember that. <laughs> yeah, but, but, yeah, I had, so I had to get out of that, that, that soaking wet tent and get into the truck and, and sleep on the seat in the truck. Yeah, but that's the way, that's the way tents are. Our tents break down. They break down in the storms of life. They fade in the sun. Those tent pegs that were once strong and, 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 and planted, they weaken and sometimes they break. And the wind comes along and blows and all of a sudden your tent's not stable. It topples easily. You see, we can't, we can't take these tents into eternity with us. We need something permanent. And I'm so glad that the scripture here tells us, it tells us that we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You see, you and I don't have 
to build the house, the house that we need, the permanent house. You and I, we aren't the ones who are, it isn't our own ingenuity. We are not the engineers of it. Hallelujah. You don't, you don't look within the breaking down tent to figure out how to build an eternal home. You can try to muster up all the willpower you think you have, but you will never produce enough hope to survive the pounding surf of suffering. And you can't bear the weight of your pain, the pain of your family, the pain of the community, the pain of the world. You can't bear it. It will crush you. And Psalm 130, verses 7 through 8, gives us the hope that out of the depths, the psalmist writes, out of the depths, I cried to you, O Lord. And in verse 7, he gives us the hope that we need when he says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Don't you love that? With the Lord, there's steadfast love, plentiful redemption. He redeems his people from all their iniquities. See, if you don't have any hope now, if that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what you do. So let me ask you, how do you give up all of this? How do you give up all of this? And what will you put in its place? Because if you think you've had enough of being a Christian, you must ask yourself if you've had enough of Christ. See, how can you have enough of Christ? How can you have enough of Christ's everlasting love? His steadfast faithfulness, his song of salvation singing over you, his blood-bought forgiveness everlasting life and sharing in his eternal. How can you have enough of that? The songwriter is right. When he, say, when he says, if we the, with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean completely dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole those stretched from sky to sky. Yeah, how can, you have, how can you have enough? You see, if you don't take Christ's sovereign mercy in, in bearing your sins, what will you do with them? Because in Christ, it's plentiful redemption. Hallelujah. Don't you know? Don't you know? Don't you love it? Amen. That no matter how often you come to the Lord with the same sin. You've been battling it for years and he hasn't run out of mercy. Hallelujah. You say, all right, preacher, I know you, you're like most preachers. You, you're trying to scare me with negative talk about sins. Well, you should hear the rest of Stockdale's story since he made it out and others didn't. As Jim Collins, he tells on his, in his interview, he, said, he's, he asked Stockdale, he says, who didn't make it out? And Stockdale said, oh, that's easy. The optimists. The optimists, I don't understand. I said, now completely confused, given what he had just said 100 meters earlier. The optimists, oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. 
and Christmas would come and Christmas would go, then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter and Easter would come and Easter would go and and then Thanksgiving and, and then it would be Christmas again and they died of a broken heart. Another long pause and more walking. Then he turned to me and said, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. That's deep. But he learned it while he was being tortured. You see, apart from Jesus Christ, we're all destined to die of broken hearts. With Christ, we can confront the brutal facts of our current reality by not losing sight that we prevail with him in the end. So believe what you speak about Christ's death and resurrection. Compare the present pain and Christ's eternal glory and know that there's no comparison. And see past the temporary to the eternal and and hope in Christ who is the builder of everything. Because Christ is the reason and, and, and the assurance that we do not, he's the reason and the assurance that we do not lose heart. And one day he's coming. He's coming. And all of the stories of the world will end. Hallelujah. And C.S. Lewis in The Last Battle as he talks about this, he, t- he talks, he writes, he writes he, with, 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 with Lucy and Edmund and Peter and all, and, all, and, 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 he, and he, said, he, describes, he describes it this way. He says that all of that, all of that in the Shadowlands, all of that will, will seem to have been only the cover and title page. And at last, we will be at the beginning of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. Let's pray. Our Father, indeed, you have written the story, and you've written salvation for us in the story. God, we so often lose sight of that. And we pray that you would enable us by your spirit, help us by your grace to believe the gospel that you have brought us through, that we see the victorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and how he has won it all and enable us, Lord, to not lose heart. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.